Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the first in our series of weekly spoiler specials dedicated to the book of Boba Fett. And yes, we've started in the second week, we've started with episode two, we have skipped the first week for a number of reasons. It wasn't a protest at Disney starting the show when we were all on holiday. No, 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 no. But we were scattered to the four or five wins when the first episode aired last week. And honestly, if there had maybe been a little bit more to talk about in that that episode, we might have figured something out. Maybe, maybe, who knows? But uh, after seeing that first episode, in which, frankly, not a lot happened, we decided to wait for Chapter 2 to unite. And I'm glad we did, because now I find the Book of Boba Fett more relatable. Now that I know it's about a man of a certain age who has problems with the night wind. Anyway, joining me to discuss this episode and the previous episode and the future of Boba Fett, I'm joined by four colleagues of such lethal cunning. A woman who can relate to this show because his message is that behind every vaguely uncharismatic man, there is a much smarter woman. It's Geek Queen, (laughs) Helen O'Hara. Aw, thank you. Hello. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. This is our first podcast of the year, folks. Our first podcast of the year. So if we've, if we've forgotten how to do this thing, well, we never knew in the first place. So you won't notice any difference. Uh, next up, we have a man who insists on being carried around the Empire office on his own litter. It's James Dyer. Hello, Christopher. Hello, James Dyer. <laughs> I'm accompanied by my own personal Gamorrean guards, you will notice. <laughs> Not your giant Wookiee? Big old giant Wookiee? <laughs> no, you can't get him out on webcams. That That's the kind of stuff that gets you cancelled. <laughs> Uh, next up, we have a man who emerges from the dressing room at Sarah for men with the same pomp as Boba. It is, of course, Amon Warman. <laughs> Hello. Happy New Year. Hello. Happy New Year to you. Uh, <laughs> and last but not least, the major domo's major domo is Ben Travis. Hello. Happy New Year, everyone. <laughs> Happy to be here. Happy New Year. That was so much cheerier than literally anyone in this show has ever no. been. Yep. Here we go. Here we go. So this is the book of Boba Fett. We have chapter one, Stranger in a Strange Land, and chapter two, which I thought was maybe going to continue the, well, it's not a tradition, is it? It was just one episode, but I thought it was going to maybe continue the uh, the motif of naming each episode after a famous sci-fi novel. But unless The Tribes of Tatooine is a sci-fi novel that I've overlooked, then that is not the case. But anyway, chapter one, chapter two to discuss. Shall we start with general reactions to the show so far? Because I know we're all pretty mixed, as in some people are really positive, some people are less positive. Who wants to weigh in? Who wants to... Let's have a positive. Let's start with a positive. We've got to accentuate the positive. We've got to eliminate the negative. Latch on to the... Affirmative. Yes. And don't, and don't mess, mess with Mr. With Mr. In between. You know, yeah, I can't even say it anymore. Can't even speak. I've forgotten how to <laughs> podcast. Ability to anyway, not ben, speak does not make you show. intelligent, Chris. <laughs> I don't um, speak. Yeah, unsurprising to everyone. I am enjoying the Star Wars show. I am having a good time. <laughs> two episodes in. What? I, you? Me? No. I know. But much as I love Mando, and I really love Mando, this still isn't my like number one area of, of the Star Wars universe. Like My love for the sequels knows no bounds. That is where my heart truly, truly lies. Um, and <laughs> right. when the first episode of this dropped last week, Helen messaged our WhatsApp group and was like, well, that was uneventful. And I was busy doing Christmas stuff. So I was like, do you know what? I, I actually am not going to watch this immediately. I don't really have the time to watch it right now. When I have an hour, I'm going to watch it. At, like It sounds like it's, it's decent, but like a slow start and I'm not really missing anything. 
So when I sat down to watch it, I actually really enjoyed the first episode. It reminded me a lot of the start of Mando, which I think was similarly kind of slow paced and was just kind of settling you in with the character and and the world. Um, I really enjoyed that first episode, enjoyed this one probably about the same amount, maybe slightly less actually, but a lot of what it's doing, especially the flashback stuff is really working for me in the sense that it's all told visually and through the amazing Ludwig uh, Goranson score. Sorry to trump you on the soundtrack chat, Amon, but the <laughs> what it's doing, allow it. what it's doing in those sequences, and and like just having fifteen minute chunks where like nobody talks and it's just all told through the visuals and through the action and and through that soundtrack. I'm really enjoying that stuff so far. So it's not blowing my mind yet, but I'm enjoying these episodes. I'm happy to see where it goes next and just finding that it's unfolding at a similar pace to Mando for me. Okay. Uh, we should point out, of course, that uh, Joseph Shirley is doing the score for Boba Fett yes. and not Ludwig Granson who did the theme. He did the theme. Which he he had he rummaged around in Mandalorian knockoffs Ooh. in his little bin and, and found the theme for this and and stuck it in. So there we go. Uh, so props to Joseph Shirley. Good score. Good score all around. Um, who wants to go next, James? I know that you are perhaps not in a positive camp. Well, look, I appreciate my entire dynamic with Ben. It's him being enthusiastic about something and then me explaining at length why he's wrong. Like this is our whole thing. <laughs> Especially in Star Wars. Uh, This is what we do in every morning (laughs) meeting, so why should this be any different? Um, Look, for me, this is the solo of Star Wars TV shows. It's something that is ill-conceived. It's a bad idea. It's the most inessential thing you could possibly imagine, and everyone should just probably forget it existed. And that, for me, is this. like (laughs) Solo is inoffensive in and of itself. It's not a badly made film. It's not a bad film, but its existence is problematic. It doesn't need to be there. And actually, if we're all honest, it existing lessens everything else a little bit. And I think there's an element of that to this. That Does it? Boba Fett, I think so. Like, I don't think we ever needed Boba Fett to climb out of the Sarlacc pit. And if we did, frankly, yeah, it should have happened the way Pan Oswald imagined it and Thanos should have been there. Uh, 100%. But I just, I can't, I can't, I can't, bring myself to like this and i think part of it is that when you go back to to early mandalorian it is slow paced and it it works brilliantly because it's that classic sort of like man with no name western thing he's fucking cool and that carries an awful lot of narrative weight and let's not forget he had baby yoda as well from the end of the first episode so there's a lot going on there as well but boba fett is not cool and He was never cool, but he had nice armor. I'm very much in Helen's camp on this. He was never even a character. Now he is a character, but, whisper it, he's not a very good character. He's just Tamara Morrison. And take away his armor, which, let's be honest, (laughs) he is (laughs) without his armor for the majority of this, because it's on the flashback. He's just a man running around the desert in a giant onesie, which, again, is not what I call quintessential Star Wars. And I tried really hard to like this, but it feels so low rent. Like, in the present day, he's the world's shittest gangster. He is a man who has count them he's a crime boss with fucking three retainers three three you are not a crime boss with three retainers not even a gang you're just a bloke with three friends he's got three retainers is that why his teeth are so sparkling and white yes chris because that's a big question of the show for me why why has he got perfect teeth (laughs) let's just take a like the jowls have excellent dental protected him in the sarlacc so then it didn't really erode his teeth while he was in there it was all on his face well perhaps the sarlacc acid was tooth whitening and that's actually what happened maybe but, that's it uh, 
But it's just when he's sitting there, and you, it almost feels like a spoof. He's like, I am the daimyo. I'm the crime lord. It's like, you and whose army? It's you and two green pig men and Fennec Shand, who looks frankly <laughs> bored. It's just like, who are you taking over, Moss Esper? It's just ill-conceived. And honestly, and I will stop talking, I promise, but but this feels like Ben's feature on this in the magazine cover feature, which is fantastically written, and I loved reading it a lot more than I enjoyed watching the show. But... Um, you, you make a point in this that this is essentially Dave Filoni and John Favreau and Robert Rodriguez playing with Star Wars figures. Like that, that's what this is. And honestly, that's what this is. Like watching this, I can almost see their hands like picking up the characters and like moving them through the streets. It feels like kids playing with Star Wars toys. And that's lovely for them, mm. less so for me. Mm. This is interesting because, you know, when we're doing a lot of our Marvel shows and a lot of our Star Wars shows, we do get some people who now and again go, oh, you all think the same thing. You're all on the same page with this show. You all love Hawkeye and you all love Loki and you all thought Falcon and the Winter Soldier was a show that existed. And, you know, (laughs) and sometimes that means that even though we enjoy listening to you, that there's not enough contrast of opinions. And I don't think that's going to be a problem with this show unless, of course... (laughs) It suddenly gains focus, which it uh, might. Which it, which it might. might. It, which might. it might. It could get good. It could. It just hasn't yet. But it could. Okay. I don't like. I don't think it's bad. I think I, I, I largely agree with James, and you know how much that upsets me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't think it's bad. I just think, what? Why am I watching this, and why do I care? I don't really have a reason to care about whether he becomes the daimyo of Tatooine or Mos Eska or wherever specifically that that title refers to. Why does that matter, really? I don't care. Is there some right he's trying to wrong he's trying to right? I don't know. Mm-hmm. They haven't okay. really told me that. Um, presumably, <laughs> at some point, some fucker is going to kill all those nice sand people who have taken him in, and that's going to set him maybe on this path. That feels like the way this is going, um, which isn't that bad. Having humanized the sand people, shouldn't we maybe not massacre them again? It's a suggestion. You can do, do with that as you will. I, I just, I'm not sure why any of this adds up at the moment. You know, we've, we've seen this a million times before. The wounded person, possibly a prisoner, taken in by a warrior culture, almost killed, wins their respect, then teaches them a thing or two they didn't know. How is this not The Last Samurai? And why is it better than The Last Samurai? I don't know why I'm supposed to care about the flashbacks right now. I don't know why they matter. And having absolutely no affection for Boba Fett as a character, as you know, as we've Mm -hmm. long, long established. Quite famously, yeah. Well, um, within our circles. Within our circles. I'm just not sure why any of this is, you know, taking up space on my TV, really. But I, But it may well go interesting places, you know. Ming-Na Wen is in there. She's great. Like, there's cool people. When the show remembers that she exists, <laughs> uh, she is potentially much more interesting character than Boba Fett, which does make you wonder why we're focusing on Boba Fett and not Fennec Shand. But, but hey-ho. Uh, Mos Espa wasn't built in a day and all that stuff. But uh, listen, I think there's a, I, I'm somewhere between the two stools and I want to bring Amon in finally because I think I sense, I, I'm sensing through the computer screen that Amon is a bit more positive. He's in, You're more in the Ben camp? Am I right in thinking that? Yes. Your reaction on yes. Twitter today to the second episode leads me to believe this. Okay, so so I'm, I'm, I'm weirdly, having now seen both episodes twice, I'm weirdly like some sort of Fenn diagram of all three opinions so far in that I think it's a very interesting show. When you look at it, what happens in this episode is really interesting. You get 12 minutes of 
present day setup. You get a giant, great big fucking Wookiee who looks terrifying and is from the comic books mm-hmm. I have now learned and is now a real thing in, in you know live action. And you get all that stuff and you get the twin huts and you get all the intrigue of what might happen. And then the show just kind of goes, okay, we're going to park that stuff and we're going to do 40 minutes of flashback that includes, I'm not making this up, a sequence in which Boba Fett trips Major Ballsack <laughs> in a Disney show, in a, ki- mm. in a show that is nominally aimed at kids. And, don't, you do know, kids. don't do lizards, kids. Don't do lizards. Don't do lizards. Absolutely do not do lizards. He does space disco biscuits and goes absolutely off his tits. It's, it's wild. And this is a show that's aimed at families. It's already had a disconcerting amount of jizz. But <laughs> the, 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 oh the, the drugs, wow, now we've got jizz and drugs? My God. And, of course, it finishes... We we can't, we can't put too fine a point on it. This episode finishes with Boba Fett river dancing with a bunch of Tusken Raiders. So I respect the fact that the show is in its own way gonzo. I just wish that we were spending a bit more time in the present day mm-hmm. rather than the flashbacks. There are 40 minutes of flashback yeah. sequence in this. Including I, a yeah. driving lesson, lest we forget. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really? <laughs> Left a bit, right a bit. <laughs> The, the parallel parking, I've got to admit, was a mess. Check your mirror. Mirror yeah. signal maneuver. No, that was my least favorite part of the episode. But yeah, I, I'm broadly enjoying it. Um, I do like the dual storylines to it. I just think the problem is right now that one is not informing the other. They are so separate to each other. Mm-hmm. That is the issue. Because I, I, I really like you know, sort of what the flashbacks are doing in terms of sort of learning more about Boba's character how he sort of came to sort of be in the Tusken Raiders, because obviously when he pops up in The Mandalorian, he is wearing the uh, Tusken Raider uh, onesie, as James so affectionately yeah. named it. Um- <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 that that's a cloak. No, it's the onesie that he had under his armour, the white yeah. suit. Yeah, it's the white stuff that was under thing. the armour, where yeah. he just looks like a giant baby. It's <laughs> you wouldn't really say that to his weird. face, though, let's be you honest. You would not, not say that to I mean, him. I might. <laughs> I, I kind of disagree with you, though, because I think it, as much as I feel like, yeah, there was a lot of flashback stuff in this one, 40 minutes of the flashbacks and only 12 minutes of, I don't know, doing Moss Esper shit was kind of imbalanced. But I think what those flashbacks are doing, and especially the stuff this week, is taking that character from being a lone ranger and giving him a sense of becoming a leader and dealing with people. And that is taking us to where he is at the moment as somebody who's an aspiring leader. So yeah, but you need to explain that you need to explain, you need a line, you need something, not just I'm going to rule with respect because that doesn't, that's not specific Mm -hmm. enough. He needs to be having a conversation with Fennec saying, I've changed from the old days. That used to be me. Now I see a new path. Mm-hmm. It, there need there needed to be, and probably in episode one, there needed to be a conversation setting up these endless flashbacks so we know that even though they haven't got to the point yet, there will be a point. But we, we're we just assuming that. We, we don't know that. The show no. hasn't told now, us Obviously, that. these are two completely different shows, but I just recently watched all of Dope Sick, which also does a lot of time hopping. And the way in which that show does its time hopping and how one scene informs the other, that is what yep. a show like this needs to really help coalesce everything. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. And of course, Boba is dope sick by the end of it. He just can't wait <laughs> to get another one of those, those freaky lizards 
fired up his nostrils. <laughs> yeah, Space Purdue has a lot to answer for, let me tell you. Honestly, wow. I like was so delighted when I was watching this episode and at the end they're like, we got you a gift and then they give him a tiny lizard in a basket. I was like, this is fucking amazing. Someone gave me a tiny lizard in the basket and the next thing I know, he'd snorted it up his nose and was tripping off his nutsack. It was wild. And But he, he had to give the lizard back. He didn't get to keep the lizard. I, I excuse me. I do not want Boba Fett's secondhand noses. Mm. Thanks very much. Like that's just I, like I'm sure this it is... grooms. It grooms mm. between you know mm. trips. I'm, I'm, it's fine. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, and that's probably been up someone else's Ooh. brain. Yeah, oh. it goes up brains all the time. That's a good point. I did not consider that. How mm. does it get in a Tuscan Raider head when they have so much shit around their face? Maybe that's why they have so much shit around their face. Why do they never take their masks off? Like, even the kids, when they're in their tents, do they sleep with them in? Are they, you know, are they children of the of the watch, much they're like Mando? They're hideous that's to it. look at. Are this they, is okay. hideous. Come on, James, I'm just going to say what you're thinking. Are they wearing still suits at all times? <laughs> that's it, yeah. They're it's maintaining their moisture. That's it. It's <laughs> like, and we, we do have to, I know I'm playing into James's hands, but we do have to talk <laughs> about how naked the Dune influences oh are <laughs> in Star Wars this week. Now, it's always been there. It's been there since minute mm. one of film one. You know, once you go to a space desert, somebody out there is going to be thinking, Dune! <laughs> <laughs> but when you start talking about spice smuggling mm. and you yes. start talking about desert people and you start talking about desert warriors in particular and you start talking about an outsider who's in exile and who was facing death and who has now been taken in by these desert warriors and impressed them with his own abilities uh, couldn't be junior Atreides. yeah yeah <laughs> what would happen if the fremen were slightly incompetent <laughs> well, no, 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 I was gonna say that. that I disagree with. They, I mean, they play a you know significant part in their train heist, uh, especially that one. No, one of them, one yeah, of them, the MVP no, one, yeah. who I'm assuming doesn't have a name, but I also am convinced is a woman as well. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, hundred percent. That tends the competence, but uh, you know, whereas all of the others are sort of like they're like Ewoks, they're like bumbling comedy fools trying to jump on speeder bikes. A Fremen would not drive that biker's bike backwards. No, I'm just saying. No, an Ewok might. Yeah. Indeed. I don't like that they haven't named any of the Tuscan Raiders. Like, and it plays into sort of what I don't like about the whole learning how to drive thing, um, because these are sort of you know. An indigenous sort of people who, again, they're leaning into that the, with their backward culture. They don't know technology. They don't even when the battle is done, uh, it's Boba, it's Boba talking, not any of the Tuscan Raiders. I think that would be an opportune time to give them more agency and put them in the forefront rather than have them be in the background of what is a battle that they are also part of. Um, so I didn't mm. like that either, but. I think it's important to give those guys voices, but if there was a five-minute sequence of just those guys like screaming at each other in Tuscan Raider voice, that would be a <laughs> like, lot. Even as have a like Boba speak for them, but have them be more a part of the conversation rather than just in the background doing yeah. absolutely nothing. And, and and the problem, of course, with having him interact with all these Tuscan Raiders. I mean, yes, you get these great, as as Ben referenced, I think, these great sort of fifteen minute silent sequences where you're doing all your storytelling mm. visually, and that's cool, and I appreciate that, I really do. Uh, but what you're turning it into then is a situation where a famously taciturn character has to become the only voice on screen for large periods of the show. And it, it shifts something in what we've always known about Boba Fett and what we might have expected this show to carry forward, which is that he is powerful without being hyperverbal. 
but he now is talking as much as any of us, the god helper. <laughs> he takes his helmet off every five <laughs> seconds. And I know he's not a Mandalorian, so it's not sacred to him, but he has gone to all these lengths. And, you know, we've only previously seen him, of course, in Empire and, and Jedi. But, you know, the, the Boba Fett that we have seen in live action before The Mandalorian season two is this kind of mysterious figure who keeps his mask on and cultivates his air of intrigue. Uh, but now he has taken over Mos Espa. He's running around just with his face out all the time. And also his helmet kind of protects him from snipers and whatnot, you would think as well. I'd keep that, I'd keep that shit on all the time. <laughs> To be yeah, honest. I feel like it's the inverse of uh, Pedro Pascal. Like you want him to have his helmet off all the time. Tamara Morrison, while I'm sure he's a very handsome man, I, I don't think it's as necessary that he wants. The helmet is what makes Boba Fett iconic. Uh, and as, as I said, Tamara Morrison in a onesie does not. <laughs> Pedro Pascal must be watching the show going, motherfucker. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> really? Seriously? He's got his helmet off every five seconds. John, can I not take my helmet off? Seriously? <laughs> anyway, listen, enough talk about Boba. Let's talk about Boba. Because one of the things that the show does is, as we've kind of mentioned already a little bit, is he's not a villain. Now, you can always argue that he wasn't a villain in the first place. He was just a guy with his own goals, and those goals happened to run counter to Han Solo's goals. So, ergo, he was a villain. He was just a freelancer, man. He was just trying to make a living, you know? (laughs) Precisely. (laughs) In in the gig economy. economy. He was trying his best, you know, on on zero hours contracts. He was trying his best to get ahead. Oh, ahead? Uh, Too soon. His dad just died 30 years ago. (laughs) Jesus. My my apologies to the Fed family and my condolences indeed for their loss. Uh, their really awesome loss. I mean, that's a fucking great way to go, isn't it? Having uh, your head sliced off by Mace Windu. I mean, that's the way I'd want to go, if, if I'm honest. But do we think that this show, we talked a little bit about the idea that this is a kid's show, despite all the jizz and drugs. Do we think jizz, by the way, is what they call jazz in Star Wars? Thank you so much for clarifying. Yes, (laughs) very sure. Because we all know, because we're massively online. But I worry that other people might not. (laughs) (laughs) We're excessively online people, and um, see this jizz thing is really interesting because I did some reading about it because it was it was brought up earlier in the week because someone I can't remember who but someone on Twitter had just been had just discovered that jazz is called jizz in Star Wars, and they were like, no fucking way, no. No fucking way is this real. And so I did a bit of a deep dive into it. And it, it kind of seems that it is and that it isn't. Is that it not just I, because he's from New Zealand and he's like, I like a jizz. I like <laughs> no, listening yes, to jizz. I love jizz. <laughs> yes, jizz ends. <laughs> That's more South African than anything else. But anyway. <laughs> it is, isn't it? We've got diplomatic immunity. Diplomatic immunity. Oh, Lord. Well, we've just alienated South African fans, New Zealand fans, oh, and of course everyone. lovers of jizz. Um, they're, they're all alienated. But I, I, So it turns out that it was jizz was first coined the, in Star Wars. Uh, I haven't done a deep dive into jizz. That's, oh, God. That can get pretty sticky pretty quickly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like the Rancor pit. Um, the Wanko pit? Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. I set him up. Ben knocks him down. Knocks him out. Uh, so... There was a like a sort of sort of visual guide or visual history of Star Wars a few years ago, and someone in that coined the word jizz to refer to jazz, which is what they play in the cantina. Uh, and it seems to have, ironically enough, jizz seems to have stuck ever since then. And I think they just snuck it in as a joke, and it's been picked up somehow and has been run with. The ball has been run with, which is now why Boba Fett is drenched in jizz. Anyway, so you got jizz, you got the drugs. 
But are you going to allow Boba Fett to be true to his inner Boba and be a bad guy, or is he going to have all his rough edges ironed off? Discuss. Is he a bad... I mean... We don't like he's he was a nothing. He wasn't a bad guy or a good guy. He was a nothing. Although actually, no, that's not true. I, I was actually watching the documentary about him today, and George Lucas specifically refers to him as a villain, and specifically he's says people love, love the villains best. So, so I guess he's a bad guy. But we just haven't seen much of that. We haven't seen much evidence of it because we haven't seen much evidence of you know fucking anything because he's just Villainy. not a character. Ah, he's a fancy suit. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm taking crazy thing. bills. I, I understand I, I, that some people's response to this show will be, hey, that's not my Boba Fett that I basically imagined in my head when Hashtag I was thinking about Boba Fett. Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> For me, I, I'm not that, I was never that caught up on this character in the original trilogy. And so I don't mind the that they're kind of characterizing him in a more kind of less overtly villainistic way. I don't mind that. I'm just interested that they're doing something with this character at all. I think the fact that they... Already I'm getting a sense of who this character is and a lot of that is coming from the flashbacks and I think they're doing quite a lot of heavy lifting. I like the way that they're weaving his sort of back-to-tank dreams into the Sarlacc pit (laughs) and into the Attack of the Clones stuff and him losing his dad, who is also basically him. And they're trying to thread this line of like, what is going on in this guy's head? What are the nightmares that this guy has? What are the experiences that he has had that him make dead. him want to be this crime lord guy? And I understand that for some people that's just not going to match up to the character they always envisioned for this guy. But I think as we've often discussed, there isn't a character. He is a cool suit of armor who <laughs> has a plot function and occasionally like doesn't seem that arse that Darth Vader's all up in his grill. That's that's not very much to go off. So that's that's it. That's what that's what everyone grabs mm. and gravitates towards, isn't it? That thing that he sassed Darth Vader. He spoke back to Darth Vader. Fucking Peter Cushing speaks back to Darth Vader. <laughs> I mean, Leia does nothing else. <laughs> yeah. Come on, you're yeah. going to hero worship somebody. Pick a better character. Can I just say, like, the thing with Boba Fett is, is that surely sass is kind of all he's got. Like, he's just wildly ineffectual. It's like, like, it's only in the future stuff. All he does is swagger around the same strip of market in Mos Espa and go on about how he's the big I am while doing absolutely fuck all about it. And even when he's attacked, he's like, Finnick, save me. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just, I just, at no point has he sort of impressed me or giving me the impression that he's the cool character that people want him to be. And I'm just like, I'm still, I'm not feeling it at all. James, he has a big stick and this episode is devoted to finding out how he got that big stick. And I'm thrilled that he was able to whittle a stick. That's great. That's a hell of a skill to have. I'm not sure it qualifies him to be a crime lord. I need to interject her because you guys need to put more respect on Boba's name. Like I... Do we? I rewatched his... um, uh, a couple of those Mandalorian episodes. <laughs> a couple, of, a couple of those Mandalorian episodes before this, and you tell me like he, he he's never impressed you. That scene where he just goes through a battalion of clone troopers, like stormtroopers, sorry, they're, like they're absolutely nothing. That was impressive, James. And you know, th- there's a couple of scenes, is even in this scene, um, you know, he the the, the bar scene before the train scene. That was impressive. Mm. That was cool. So there's a couple of moments where you know. He's, he's shown he's shown us up to be the badass that we know him to be. 
Except in episode one, he basically gets kettled like a, like a member of Extinction Rebellion, and they just sort of keep him in place with their little riot shields, and he can do nothing about it. It ain't how you start, it's how you finish. And the guys who tried that got missiled into smithereens. So, you know. I also like when he chucked one of those guys onto the shield and, it, and got mm. sort of frazzled on the sizzly shield thing. That's all technical yes. words. Oh, I like frazzles. They are the members of the night. Was it the Order of the Night Wind? They are the greatest assassins in the galaxy, <laughs> except they're actually a bit shit, my mm. lord. It's what it's what Matt Berry's. I feel like the Guild say. of Assassins in Ankh-Morpork would have words with those guys. I just, you know, we, there are a lot of very cool assassins in literature, and these guys. Let's just say they're not top ten. I don't think they're top fifty. I I love that the show knows that because Fennec has a great line to that effect. It's like you you're, you're the you only you only know them by their name. They're not very good. yeah. You're paying for the <laughs> name. That, you're paying I, for the name. That, that was, was funny. Um, which I enjoyed. And yeah, I hope that part of the flashbacks we get at some point deals with Fennec and really focuses on that character because we haven't seen much of her. And I mean, I know that Boba saved her in the Mandalorian, but we haven't seen much of you know how their goals align and what um she wants mm. out of this partnership and i feel like uh that would be good to see not least because ming na wen is awesome and seeing more of ming na wen is never a bad thing she this this show in a weird way is a striking one for people who are on the cusp of becoming oaps in a weird way this mm. is the star wars version of last of the summer wine and wow. i'm here for that because tamura <laughs> morrison is 60 years old ming na wen is 50 Eight years old. What the hell is going on? Jennifer Beals, and we haven't even talked about the fact that Jennifer Beals is in this, <laughs> yeah. is also 58 years old. So I hope that the finale of the show is the three of them teaming up in some sort of space bathtub and careening down a hill, a runaway space bathtub going, oh, Betty knows Frank, Frank Spencer. I, anyway, I but you know, doing something like that. I genuinely thought you were going to say, team, sitting in a bathtub discussing their skincare regimes because <laughs> my God. Isn't their skincare re- regime just back to tanks? Just back to tanks. No, but like I in real life tank. though, I want to know. They're just, yeah, they're astonishing. It's, it's incredible. Their combined age is one hundred and seventy-eight. Wow. I mean, that's fair enough. That's not even Chewbacca age, but it's 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 good. It's impressive. Would it be one hundred and seventy-six so, you know. if you've got two people who are fifty-eight? Okay. All right. <laughs> yes. You're right. 176, Helen. Thank you for spotting my deliberate mistake. You're welcome. <laughs> the point is that Ming-Na Wen mm. is fantastic in this role, and there's an argument to be made two episodes in, and I'm sure this thing's going to kick into gear any second now. But I, at the moment, you could make an argument that the more interesting character of the two is Fennec Shand, and why are we focusing on the slightly uninteresting bald fella and not the really kick-ass this, but this is it. Like Again, if you'd had that conversation I suggested in episode, let's say one, where he explains that he has been changed, that he has a mission, that he wants to do a thing, that that's why he's mm. trying to become Daimyo, we would be so much more invested in their relationship, in their shared goals. We would understand why she's working with him. We would understand why he's working. We would care if there are people who threaten his status as a crime lord. It would work so like just give me just I, ooh, I, maybe I'm just like being too like <laughs> you know untethered in my thinking. But like it just seems like that would make the show a lot 
easier to invest in the way we mm. want to. We want mm. to be invested in this. Even me with my scepticism. <laughs> but what, why is this show not working for everybody in this virtual booth, whereas The Mandalorian absolutely works? Even weaker episodes are kind of like, yeah, this is, mm. we're okay with this. And it can't just be Baby Yoda. He's cool. It's part of it. It's, it's a big part of it is Baby Yoda, not just because he's so cute and everything else. It gives that show focus mm -hmm. and clarity mm -hmm. right from the off. Like even the first episode, the episode ends with that meeting of Mando and Baby Yoda. And even though you know Mando's mission isn't sort of formalized at that point in terms of you know this is your child, keep the child safe, deliver the child, etc., we know that this is what the show is. We still two episodes in don't really know what Boba is as much as I'm enjoying some of what I'm seeing, a lot of what I'm seeing, um, mm. there's still, there's not that focus, there's not that clarity yet. It's just not that type of show, at least at this point. Yeah. That is what Boba is missing in comparison to The Mandalorian at this 100%. point. 100%. I will say that, you know, <laughs> when Boba finally gives the green light to Fennec to kill a person because she's been chomping at the bit to do that for two episodes, it's going to be a thing of beauty. I'm very excited to see that moment. <laughs> I don't want to condescend to Boba Fett and tell him how to be a crime boss, but at some point, you've got to kill some motherfuckers, don't you? Like, ultimately, <laughs> like, I've seen The Godfather. At some point, you got to cut off a horse's head, you got to stick it in someone's bed, and you got to kill you gotta some people. you got to take some cannoli from somebody, these, you know? It was... Yeah. 100%. Mm -hmm. Like, all he's doing at the moment is just talking a big game, and it's all mouth and no trousers. He's doing nothing. It's like, fear me, I am the duck. Why? Why would no. he no, doing respect nothing. me. It's, it's not, exactly. That's what it is. Yeah, but and I feel respect, like, you know, all he's doing is he's trudging around with his three mates just walking <laughs> through the streets. It's like the world's worst protection racket. Give me tribute. Why? In, in, in fairness to him, again, <laughs> one conversation could have established a lot of this. Literally one conversation. Fine. But two huts coming up, turning up and trying to take over is potentially the best thing that could have happened to his attempts to become a crime lord because unless he defeats somebody worse, why would anyone <laughs> want him? Like, you, as you say. I have two questions. It just doesn't make any sense. I have two questions related to what you've just said and they are concerning the huts. Why, A, does he need permission to kill a hut? From, from the from? hut council, he says, ah. doesn't he? Who's the hut council? And second of all, why are the huts somehow like the big bads like not being funny they're not the most sort of live or threatening <laughs> characters yeah but i'm just saying like princess leia killed jabba like fair play to her she was a badass but you know it's not as if he's nimble or dangerous he's i said this today i asked on twitter <laughs> why did the huts become powerful and influential in the first place okay now i get it jabba's been around a long time 600 years he's accumulated power he's accumulated wealth he's accumulated henchmen who are nimbler and faster and more effective as weapons <laughs> than he is. I get that. But how in the first place? Where did it come from? What started it? I know they have a, a, a resistance to the force. Twitter. Maybe. I mean, honestly, <laughs> yes. maybe. He has loads of followers. But like, it doesn't make any sense to me. They come from this backwater planet, Nalhutta, I'm sure mm. we're all aware. It doesn't, as far as I know, have any valuable resources. They are not, as far as I know, conventionally attractive or charming to literally anyone in the galaxy. So where in the first place did the Huts become a power that controls entire sectors and in controls like the underworld for much of, you know, the Star Wars universe? Where, what, how did it start? Now, some people have told me that apparently they used to be kind of brawnier and younger and tougher, that they could be effective fighters. We have seen no hint of that with any modern Hut. So I, I just find it hard to understand. 
Of course, the initial, the first iteration of Jabba the Hutt was a Scottish man, and I could absolutely yeah. just get behind yeah. that. You, know, you could understand that, yeah. If there were just, if there were just a group of Scottish people just you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> taking control of the galaxy, I'm totally no, on board I, with that. I mean, who doesn't love the Scots? You are dangerously close to willing the book of Jabba the Hutt into being, which is its own seven-part <laughs> series about a young, slightly Jabba. fitter yeah. Jabba. <laughs> You know, schmoozing around would the galaxy. Would watch, would read. But with his, the whole, like, why isn't he cracking skulls yet thing about Boba, like, you've got to have, if, if they're going to do that arc of him starting out trying to rule with re- respect and eventually having his downfall, you can't have that happen two episodes in. There's five episodes yeah, to go, and if they st- started now with him already just beating the shit out of people, I don't think that would be a good arc for this show. I think if that's what they're doing, they need to have a few episodes and they need to have a big moment where he snaps and that is a turning point. And I feel like we need to just take a bit of time getting there. I think we... we I'm sure that's coming down the line, but I just don't think we're ready for that yet. No, of course. Like, absolutely not saying he should win every battle right now, but like, you know, he hasn't done anything to win anyone's respect. That's kind of, I think, what we're saying. There needs to be some action that he takes or has taken at this point, because right now he's demanding protection money and there's no obvious threat from anyone else, you know? I, I just don't understand. Least of all well, from him. So maybe the fact that two huts turn up, one of whom is a girl and is pink, are you fucking kidding me? Um, <laughs> then maybe that's a good thing because maybe they're really bad and he can protect somebody from them. You're a bloody hottest and I don't like it. It, it feels like that's what the, the whole vibe of the mayor thing is about as well, though, mm. where they're like, we don't owe you anything. Who the fuck are you? You've just strolled in. Mm-hmm. So I feel like they are playing that out a little bit. Can I just say as well that I thought the, the arrival of the huts and the giant Wookiee, whose name I looked up earlier on and can't remember. Krushantan? Does anyone know Kr- what it is? Krushantan? Black, Black something? Black Santi or BK But for that's short for Krushantan. Yeah. Black Krushantan is what that character is. Thank you, guys. Once they turned up, and also the, the mayor being um, an alien was... An was, historian. Was, was interesting to me. Yeah, was interesting to me because by and large, and I know that this is a function of these shows being what they are and you have to have, you know, human characters. But by and large, Grogu aside, these shows of Mandalorian and the Book of Boba Fett had been very human dominated up until that point. And so it's it's good that we're getting some really proper, hardcore um, hopefully, major alien characters. Even Jennifer Beals. Jennifer Beals yeah. is an alien, but she just happens to look at Jennifer and, and Beals. And also, it's fun to yeah. have you know an, a kind of evil Wookiee, like somebody who the Wookiees, oh, yeah. known for tearing people's arms off, thought was a bit much and should leave the planet. Like that's intriguing. <laughs> what does this guy do? Does he tear off your legs as well? He looks like he's eaten five other Wookiees. He's massive. He's absolutely hench. There was some speculation that because of the arrival of Black Kersantan. Uh, we may uh, be seeing the arrival of Dr. Aphra, who he is in league mm. with in the Darth Vader comics. So that could be exciting. Interesting. <laughs> who's that? Who, who's that, Amon? Uh, she is an unethical archaeologist. Indiana Jones. Okay. So it's that that and Kira are the two that have been mooted, aren't they? Because it does feel like... I've, I, I, I've heard the sort of Kira thing being bandied around, that Crimson Dawn, because obviously they mention the syndicate, you know, the people mm-hmm. they work for. I mean, I've not seen any Crimson Dawn livery. Maybe there's been some that I didn't notice. I read about them in Time magazine. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> it does feel like they might turn up. And I, I think, you know, having stuff from Solo appear in this would at least be thematically consistent with, you know, redundant parts of Star Wars. So. Hey, <laughs> come on now. <laughs> come on. <laughs> 
play nice. Are you saying that learning how Solo got his name is inessential, James? What are you yes. talking about? Yes. I mean, you're absolutely right. That was. I'm very, very pleased that exists. We learned how Solo so got his name in less time than it took to find out how Boba got his big stick. So um, yeah. I'm, I'm all for that. Listen, and you know, Solo, I don't mind Solo. I think there's been a bit of a renaissance in terms yeah. of his reputation over the last few years. And there's definitely a hardcore Solo fan base out there, you know, you know who wants is it Solo 2. It is Ron Howard. Um, <laughs> hashtag make Solo 2 happen. Is a, is a hashtag that briefly took off. Um, but yeah, it, it, listen, you know, we were talking earlier on on WhatsApp and we were talking about this very, very thing that there are rumors that Amelia Clark's character might somehow show up, even though the timeline doesn't seem to quite work in that way. She yeah. is some 30 years on, 35 years on, I guess, from the offense. So maybe longer. Loving it. Longer. Smith no, it <laughs> no, because Solo ends with him going off to see Jabba. So Solo's meant to be pretty close in time to A New Hope. And isn't this meant to be like five years post-Jedi? So all she really needs is a little bit of a nip and tuck and it can still be immediately fine. But, so how close is Solo meant to be then to New Hope? A couple of we years. We really know, do I think we? we? I think we had this discussion when Mando came out. I think it, we, we settled on, there was like a five-year gap at most, I think, between uh, Jedi and New Hope. But, but like, literally he goes off to see... Jabba at the end of Solo, so we're talking a year, two years, most, absolute most. I think look, you can make it 10 years at most. I don't think you can go much over that. See, I think Alden Ehrenreich is much younger at the end of Solo mm. than Harrison Ford is in Star Wars. 10 years, I would I would say. Yeah, it's also that sense that like like him and Lando are old friends. So, hey, Lando, the guy I met last week. Hey, how are you? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I'm sure someone will know there's probably an actual canonical probably answer to this. I'm sure there is. It feels to me like it may be, I'm going to go slightly longer. I think it's probably be five, ten years between the two of them. You could look it up, but where's the fun in that? People will yell at us <laughs> instead on Twitter if you get it wrong. So much, much more fun. Solo is uh, 10 to 13 years before A New Hope, apparently. All right. Okay. So that's um, canonical, right? That's according to internet.com. <laughs> that's according to Google, yes. <laughs> All right. So you got it from there. So then there's five years between the end of Jedi and this taking place, roughly five years. Roughly so five you're years. talking like 15, 20 years. So, so would Amelia Clark's character, who we all know her name, Kira, yes. Precisely. She might, if she turns up in this, will she be aged up or is she just aging very well? I mean, she'll just age like Ming Na Wen. And look exactly the same as she did. And look exactly the same <laughs> as she did when she was in ER. Yeah. So yes, why not? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. I think we were talking about WhatsApp. The thing we were talking about WhatsApp. Ben made the point that you know the MCU recently has rehabilitated lesser works within the MCU and perhaps even beyond the MCU, and. You know, taking things like Thor: The Dark World and Age of Ultron, and through you know, re-emphasizing or giving greater uh, weight, narrative weight to things that happened in those movies or to characters who were introduced in those movies, rehabilitated them slightly. And this might happen also with Solo, if indeed Crimson Dawn uh, or Amelia Clark's character, who we knew, all know the name <laughs> of, uh, shows up in the Book of Boba Fett. Yeah, Maybe. I mean, I would be fine with that. Uh, Solo is probably my least favourite Star Wars film, just because it feels really <gasps> nothingy to me. Like, even the bad Star Wars films feel... <laughs> just four stars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just below The Rise of Skywalker, five stars. Um, but the stuff... I, look, I, I didn't mind the things that Solo was setting up. Just as a film, it didn't give me any of the feels that I usually get from anything Star Wars. 
but I don't object to the plot lines and the characters that they were setting up there. And if they can take those things that realistically, sorry, hashtag fans, like make solo to happen, ain't going to happen. Um, but if they find a way of like bringing some of those stories and those characters back through other means that it, it works on the small screen in a way that maybe it doesn't work on the big screen, I'm I'm up for that. So if that means, um, yeah, Amelia Clark's Kira coming back, if that means potentially, I don't know, Maul, if we're talking about Crimson Dawn, if that even means, well, we know we're getting some kind of Lando show at some point. I had wondered whether Donald Glover might show up at some point in a in a yellow cape. I'm fine with all those things because I liked all of that stuff. It's just in that film, that film was just so flat for me. So yeah, by all means, play with it, bring it back, do something interesting with it, make it relevant again without giving us Solo 2. Could I just... just- ask a question and that's that when when we see like the marvel shows and whatnot there is a sense even when they are not very good there is a sense of pieces in a jigsaw mm-hmm. that these are parts of a larger whole that there is a bigger picture at play here and whether we like it or not they all fit into it there is a sense of, look i love star wars as much as anyone does but there may be a slight sense that they're just throwing bantha poodoo at a wall and seeing what sticks yeah you know what i, I mean? think this was this was something that was discussed a lot with the with the sort of the star wars stories and the prequels and so on when they were doing everything on the big screen the sense that that Marvel works because it is building to something. It was building towards, you know, the Infinity Saga. It was. It's now building towards whatever the hell it's building towards, and we're not going to discuss that here because <laughs> my God, we'll discuss it elsewhere. Um, but uh, there, there is no overarching, as you say, narrative to this. There is no reason to do your Boba Fett homework, as far as we know, you know, because there's mm. no particular overarching points that it's you know, trying to get towards. They're just exploring little pockets of the Star Wars universe, seemingly kind of at random and just like whatever some creator has a good idea for that they think could be a good story. But there's no impetus to to like stick with everything. And look, some of these may well, you know, tie up, but, you know, we, mm. we've been talking a little bit about the kind of Filoni-verse and the idea of, you know, Ahsoka Tano is now coming into canon. Lots of characters who were originally in the in the comics are now coming into the live-action universe, <laughs> and it's cool to see them because those those cartoons have a lot of fans and a lot of supporters. There's a lot of love out there for characters from the comics, from the games, from the extended universe. We're big fans universe. and experts. We're super expert on those. Super <laughs> yeah. expert on Clone Having Wars. Having seen every episode, of course, of all of, all of exactly, these. Exactly. Mm-hmm. As, as everybody knows. I genuinely have seen pretty much every episode. So have I. So have I. And believe me, when the Inquisitor turns up, oh, oh my so God. Right? So, so good. good. <laughs> Love the bit with the dark side. But like even then, like there's no it's not building to something. It's just like, here's that cool guy that you liked in that thing. You know, it's not like you have to yeah. see this because otherwise Star Trek ten won't make any sense. <laughs> and that's true, but I, I think that they are building to something, they just haven't told Maybe. us what it is. I think they have there's a confidence I have a confidence that Favreau and Filoni, uh, and Robert Rodriguez is also kind of part of the the brain trust on this show. And obviously directed the first episode, and I think it's directing most of the other episodes. This one was directed by Steph Green. And I think Rodriguez is directing most of the rest of the of the ones. I think Favreau might be directing one, but he's written most of the others. Ben, you know. Yeah, Rodriguez has directed more than one episode. We don't know exactly how many. Weirdly, he wouldn't tell me. I was like, come on, dude, you can just say how many episodes you've done. But we know he's definitely done the first one. He's done more than one. <laughs> what does that matter to uh, Exactly. He was like, oh, I can't tell you. I straight up asked him, how many did you direct? And he was like, oh, I can't tell you that. This is an insight into how it is writing a Star Wars feature, friends. Um, <laughs> but they confirmed Kevin Tancherowen is one of the other directors who used to work Ooh, on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Cool. and is the brother of Marissa Tancherowen, if that name means anything mm-hmm. to you. Uh, 
Um, it does. And I believe Bryce Dallas Howard has also directed an episode of this one. So there's a little mix of directors. Yeah. But yeah, we, Rodriguez has done more than one. But my point was, I think they're building to something. They, in their little writer's room, Favreau and Filoni in particular, because they are the overlords of this this TV universe, are building to something. And I don't think that this is a show that they have just improvised. They introduced Boba Fett into The Mandalorian, knowing that this would lead to the book of Boba Fett, knowing that they take a break from Mando for a little while, knowing that there's an Ahsoka Tano show if everything goes well there. And that means that they're building to something. I don't know exactly what it is, but I have to believe that. Okay, so I'm sure we've all got things to say about both episodes yet. I know I have, uh, but that's take some listener questions. Perhaps we'll tackle those things along the way and maybe learn something about ourselves as well. So, first question comes from Lorna Berridge at the Berridge on Twitter. These are all on Twitter. These are all people who slid into my DMs and were very, very kind and didn't spoil the episode publicly for people. Let that be a lesson to you. Uh, Lorna asks, does Helen have any comment on the inclusion of a male space floozy? Yes, I genuinely think that's a good thing. Yes. (laughs) Equal representation for male space floozies along with women. Well done. Yes. Uh, And when I say women, I obviously mean, what do they call those species? Twilight girls. So not just Twilight girls, but Twilight boys too. Mm -hmm. Or however they choose to identify. Offering to have Boba's helmet serviced and cleaned. Golly. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> and Fennec. 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 Fennec has a helmet as well. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Both of their helmets got polished. Yeah. <laughs> it's that sort of show. It's that sort of show. I'm telling you, it's a st- this show is stealthily dirty. It is stealthily <laughs> dirty. Uh, so, yes, we're, we're well up for male space floozies. Floozers? I'm going to float that. No, no, no. Floozai. No, no. Floozai. Equal, equal, equality Flusums. of language, I think. Floozims. Chris Costin, HQ, I'm taking these in the order I'm seeing them. Were they a little over the top with the final montage of the Boba Fett Mando Season 2 Episode 1 costume origin story? Uh, Was it Episode 1? I'm quibbling. They really treated Boba Fett getting his gaffy stick and black robes as if it was Vader first being put in his suit. Yeah, I felt that 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 was a little over the top. I'd never even had the slightest question about where he got the stick and the robes from. I, I mm. Frankly, I didn't really care. And then <laughs> when it dawned on me towards the end of the episode, they were spending a good 20 minutes on watching Boba Fett do some light woodworking. I was like, I don't really need to know where he got his stick from, guys. He could have got it off, you know, <laughs> eBay, space eBay or something. I don't know. What did you guys think? To me, it felt more like I, I didn't really connect it to like, oh, and this is how he got the gaffy stick. It was more like, oh, Boba Fett has has leveled up. This is us filling in kind of where he's been. And it felt more of a milestone of, of okay, he's been accepted by these people and he's been sort of given an element, well, many gifts, including the tiny lizard, who I'm still obsessed with. Um, (laughs) It felt more like a landmark of, okay, this is a big kind of turning point for him, or this is a big part of his development, rather than, and that's how he got that robe that you've probably all forgotten he was wearing a little while ago. And I I do have questions about how the sand people robes work. Like, why does he get a black one when other people have, you know, sand coloured ones? Like, what's the thinking? I mean, yeah. Is it just cooler? Uh, uh, What what do they do for heat prevention mm. yeah because black is not a great color to be wearing in the desert i'm just saying it's a little impractical it can be actually no like the, you know you do see bedouins wearing black you do that is true but it does absorb heat but i'm saying it's generally not a good yes, thing like, yeah. yeah um but then also white is impractical for you know cleanliness because it would get sandy exactly it's not something we needed but it is something that i enjoyed i thought it was a really cool and it is slimming <laughs> 
I thought it was a really cool montage. Obviously, um, a lot of uh, what happens in that sequence, and especially the final part of that sequence, is related to Morrison's Maori culture. Uh, and I enjoyed seeing that on screen as well. And uh, the music in that uh, particular sequence was really good too. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It's not something that was essential or necessary, but I did like it. I enjoyed it as a kind of like a bonding moment with Ninja Tuscan, as I'm calling her, uh, who incidentally, someone did tweet about this last night, apparently, and I haven't had this confirmed, uh, but it's Joanna Bennett who plays Ninja Tuscan. Uh, and she was uh, Brie Larson's stunt woman on Captain Marvel. Oh, cool. So oh, that cool. is apparently who is who yeah. is the Ninja Tuscan. I really, really hope that, you know, as cool a name as Ninja Tuscan is, James, no offense, but let's actually name some of these Tuscans, especially the you know, person who... Bob. <laughs> It, it might be their culture not to name each other. It might be we don't we, we don't know at this point. So, yeah. but we'll, we'll find See it. Who we'll find out. Violence. I, I I frankly I hope we've seen the last of the Tuscans. Um, I hope I, I don't think we have. Helen thinks we're all going to get wiped out. I I'm not I mean, I'm not so sure about that. He got a bunch I, of them killed on the train. That was the thing that I was watching and thinking mm. like, oh, he's yeah. befriended all these Tuscans and fuck, they're all dying one by one. They're all getting shot. He's basically the only mm. one who gets on top of the train safely. Pretty and much. And at no point do any of the Tuscans take him to task for it. Going, oh yeah, you taught us how to ride these speeder bikes, but you've also got my friend Barry killed. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like I liked Barry. I don't like you. You're new to this. You show your face all the time. It's weird. Can we talk about this train, please? Because because I, I grouse about southern trains an awful lot, but to their credit, they don't randomly shoot people as they go through sort of like you know, southern yet. England. Uh, it's, it's a particularly coming. shitty way to drive, isn't it? We're just, you know, going to go through the Dune Sea, and if we see anyone even <laughs> look at us, we're going to shoot them in the face. Those poor Banthers. Well, presumably the, the raiders have been raiding the train or attempting to. I mean, they weren't doing an awful lot when they shot them this time. I'm saying I would revoke their franchise. <laughs> well, that's what he does. That's true, in a very direct way. I mean, the, the whole, um, I think the question was saying, is this what, like an overlay of Mando? Because they made a big deal of Mando getting his armour and building his look over time. And it did feel like the second episode reminded me a lot of the second episode of Mando from season one, where you have the big action s- sequence on the sand crawler with the Jawas. Mm-hmm. And this one, yep. you've got mm-hmm. another kind of big action sequence on a moving Star Wars vehicle that is being driven by classic Star Wars critters um, yeah felt like a, a bit of an echo of that Mando episode for me which I, I don't mind but it is following in a lot of ways quite a similar tack to that series I think hmm. but no baby, no baby Yoda, Yoda. No baby Yoda. I, I just don't I don't think it was just baby Yoda that, that made Mando work but obviously it was a huge huge part of it but there's I'm, I'm still not entirely sure why Mando really works you know with its with its monster of the week format and maybe it was maybe this the fact that Mando visits a new planet pretty much every week and interacts with all these different people every week and at, at the moment we're just getting tattooing just flavors of tattooing I don't know. I think part of it is the kind of Ronin fable, isn't it? It's that he's the kind of the man who just wanders into town. He's unspeakably cool. He looks cool. He's absolutely unstoppable. He never takes off his helmet, which is inherently cool. Uh, you know, Boba Fett obviously takes his armor off a lot. And I understand why they do that because they need a point of differentiation, but I don't think it necessarily helps his cause very much. Also, Mando, like, travelled all over the place. We've got different planets, different textures, different things. And we all felt we were going towards an end game, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, but no. I, I mean, and this may well do, like we're only on episode two, perhaps like the big plot is to come. But if this whole thing is just him squabbling with the huts, you know, in Mos Espa, I just like, honestly, this is six hours of my life. I'm not getting back. 
I don't mind that if it leans into the gangster movies that they've been referencing and it actually has the, the, the courage of its convictions and it actually is a little bit grisly and a little bit gnarly and we get to see some of that sort of, you know, like the Corleones going up against the five families, that, that kind of thing. I mean, there's clear Godfather 2 overtones yeah. in the flashback structure. I mean, it's like The Godfather 2 right now if The Godfather Part 2 was 90% Robert <laughs> De Niro. That, that's the only thing. The, 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 the balance, I think, between the present and the past mm-hmm. is just a little off for me, or a lot off for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm more intrigued by the present-day stuff than watching Boba Fett teach a bunch of Tuscans how to ride a bike. I'm not that wild about that stuff at the moment. But once we get back to the present day, if he is like putting space horses' heads in people's space beds and that sort of stuff, then great. But if not, then what is it? If you've ever wondered what would have happened if Fredo had risen to lead the Corleone family, we have to book a Boba Fett. So that's good. Did you uh, did you pot spot? I also read another thing about when he goes to when he when he goes and beats up the space sons of anarchy in the space biker bar, which was an interesting interlude. Um, the two the couple who are trying to enjoy their nice sort of like steak and chips before they get harassed are apparently Kami Mastrap and Lee's fixer. Uh, well, the two from the deleted scene from Star Wars. I can't remember his proper name, but uh, yeah, he looked. So- Super 70s, I thought, that guy. Yeah, because they name-check one of them. I think Cammy or Cammy, whatever her name is, I think she gets name-checked. Yeah. But uh, I, I thought that was a, well. a nice, deep-cut reference. And what deleted scene is that for people who haven't seen it, uh, It's I think it takes place at Toshi Station. It's the sort of random Star Wars deleted scene where he goes and meets up with a couple of his friends. Who's going to Toshi Station? power converters. <laughs> yeah, and they call him Wormy, as I recall, which is, I mean, I don't want to know why. I think that's something that should remain a mystery, you know. <laughs> Oh, my God. Um, All right. Here's another question from Dean Bowes, whose Twitter name is at Dean B-M-M-F. Do we reckon we're going to get a Fett on Wookiee fight? Chekhov's Wookiee. Hell yes. Hell yes. (laughs) Yes. You don't tease that and don't follow follow through. Um, We're going to see Boba versus Black Black Crescenton. And I'm very excited. Evil Wookiee. Yeah. Evil Wookiee. What is the world coming to? <laughs> is he evil or is he just misunderstood? <laughs> <laughs> he looked pretty hardcore, but that doesn't mean that he won't have a change That's of heart. That's just Wookiee, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he goes where the money is. Uh, so Chewie's around at this point, isn't he? Yeah. Chewie's he's, always he's, around. He's around at all points because A, yeah. he is the yeah. greatest Star Wars character of all time uh, and B, he isn't, isn't dead. So Chewie's still around. So mm. might we see Chewie come? Might we see Wookie on Wookie, hot Wookie on Wookie action? Maybe. I mean, there will be hot Wookies on Tatooine. Can you imagine having all that fur and being yeah. on a oh. desert planet? <laughs> Jesus Christ! We should, have, we should have a little bowl for him that they, they carry around. <laughs> or maybe after um, after winning all those, you know, Star Wars, he's got like a, a guy who comes and spritzes him. A guy with a little thing of cold mm. water and just comes and gives him a little spray now and then. <laughs> You need those things they get in marathons where it's sort of like a like a, a row of sprays sort of, you know, above the course and everybody just runs through it on yes. hot days. Oh, we oh, all yes. know that from the marathons we've run, right, guys? That thing where <laughs> exactly, you, yeah. you run for 26 miles and then they spray you with the thing. Hey, listen, between us, we've run about 40 marathons. This, this pod yeah. collectively. So it's- yes, but they're all <laughs> Helen. I feel like they're my bit. <laughs> That was that, that was that was a joke, James. That the moral was, support was was great, guys. Thanks. Um, Maybe that's why um, Boba has his helmet off quite so as much so much as he does. I because beg your pardon? like, well, no, but like it's going to be super duper hot. He doesn't want to have his helmet on all the time. I'm also, and I know you're just going to say 
it's a Star Wars show and that's why. But given that Tatooine is the planet that is furthest from the bright centre of the galaxy, why is everything happening on Tatooine? All the time. I mean... Always. The, the, the entire show so far has been set in Tatooine. And I did wonder about that because Boba Fett's history with Tatooine is basically he went to Jabba's palace for a party. He, he, brought, <laughs> he brought Han Solo and Carbonite to Jabba, decided to stick around, enjoy the festivities, um, got embroiled in a bit of a battle on the, on the, the, the barge, the cell barge, fell into a giant stomach with teeth. Um, and then blast his way out. So why he's decided to hang around? I guess he's hanging around because the Tuscans. He's got no choice really, and he's he's with the well, Tuscans. He does because he's fucked off on a swoop bike. Like he didn't need to come back. Like he could have left, That's gone true. to the spaceport, done whatever he needed to do. But he's decided he's been Stockholmed. Not a real thing. Stockholm syndrome. No, it's Helsinki, Sweden. <laughs> no, but it's also not a real thing. It's not a real. It is not a thing. Basically, the the. The guy who came up with the, the this theory um, never interviewed any of the hostages concerned. He just like theorized it, and the and the actual reason the hostages concerned were hostile to their rescuers is because their rescuers were massively incompetent and absolutely made the situation much much worse than it should have been. Um, whereas the people holding them hostage were like basically nice people. Yes. But Stockholm syndrome not a thing, or at least hasn't been proven. Never let the Empire podcast be said to not teach people things. Yeah, there's 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 lots of interesting things going on. Tatooine, I know what you mean, but also this this feels like you know at the moment. Star Wars greatest hits without Jedi's, yeah. and mm, I yeah. guess mm. Favreau and Filoni want to want to set on there. Um, whether if we stay on Tatooine, I don't know. Do you think we will? Do you think we'll get off this godforsaken planet in the present day? No, because the okay. whole sort of you know, as much as we can tell from the two episodes, is he wants to consolidate power in, in Tatooine. Um, mm. So that's going to be a focus and. Um, unless, like, he, you know, adds more people to his cabal, which he desperately needs. <laughs> <laughs> he really does. Um, then, uh, yeah, I see the focus very much being there. Whether, he, I mean, it would be interesting to if if he, you know, gives Fennec more decision-making power in that regard, maybe then he can, m- maybe that will free him up to do other things on other planets. But for right now, I would say that the bulk of the present-day stuff will be in Tatooine. So we kind of have to hope that the Obi-Wan show is not all on Tatooine. Even though he's living on Tatooine at the time when presumably the show starts, he, you know, goes somewhere else to have adventures because otherwise all of these shows are going to feel and look a little bit samey. I hope he he goes to desert planets. I hope he goes on Tatooine (laughs) and goes straight to, where was it? Jassic? Jakku? Yeah. Or the uh, desert planet of Pasana? Yeah, <laughs> a lot of desert yeah. planets. Who, who can forget the desert planet of Pasana? <laughs> Not me, truly. Which sounds like a pasta sauce. Anyway, um, the thing I was going to mention is you, you talked about uh, Star Wars Greatest Hits. Can we just talk about how Max Rebo has fucking lost his edge? No, like, the what? man has gone to sort of, <laughs> like, we get these sort of smooth jazz rendition of the Cantina song, which, lest we forget, he's just ripping off the modal notes straight straight away, which is shocking. Smooth jizz. Yeah, yeah, smooth Ooh. jizz. Sorry. Sorry. Jizz FM. <laughs> James, what is this oh. Max Rebo slander? He's lost his edge. You know, he was hip, he was cool, and now he's I just shit. love how there's, they just have one song, and he just plays it in different styles. It's not <laughs> his song! It's not it's, his song! It's like, you know when you see, like, HSBC cover... There's HSBC <laughs> adverts where there's, like, a, a slow, sad piano version of Dancing on My Own, and you're like, I just want to hear the original. Although I did like what they did with, with that 
cantina song. It sounded fun. Also, did you notice in the credits at the end of that episode, um, that is partially played by Robert Rodriguez. He was playing on that. Mm. <laughs> I, I'm not going to say we could tell, but, you know. <laughs> he's a very good Come musician. Wow. He's, yeah, he's very talented. He does the voice of the mayor, incidentally. Mayor Mox Shaiz. Mm-hmm. He was also the mayor of um, Doc Thingy in the first episode, uh, also. So, and also played mayor of East Town. So, yes, you know, he did. Also, <laughs> uh, Gary Oldman's never played a mayor, which is which is nice. It's a deep cut. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, here's a question from at Daz underscore Ginge. Does the pod feel they have toned down the violence of Boba from the Rodriguez directed episode of The Mandalorian? I mean, we haven't really seen him fight that much yet. And in yeah. that first episode, he was in a very different situation. He was he was cornered in all those shields and kind of fighting his way out, whereas you got the sense in that Mando ep that he was very much in control and striding in and just shooting all the ineffectual stormtroopers. As much as we've um, decided that the Nightwind people are just not that great at their jobs, uh, they still feel like maybe a bit of a step up from bog-standard stormtroopers who he just kind of dispatched with with real ease in that episode of Mando. Yeah. I mean, he dispatched the people in the bar quite easily. I enjoyed that. But there hasn't been anything uh, that has required the showcase that that episode of The Mandalorian did. Uh, where he strides in, as Ben says, and just kicks a whole bunch of ass in a very, very cool way. And I do think whether it's a fight with Black Kassantan or elsewhere, we will see, there will be situations in the future episodes that will require Boba to really throw down. And when those situations arise, I think that it will deliver. And it was pretty brutal when he he strangled that Ray Harryhausen Kraken mm. creature yeah. from the sands. And mm. by the way, if if you haven't seen the Ray Harryhausen Clash of the Titans, check that out to see exactly where that creature came from. It's it's an uncanny resemblance. They just took away the gills. Um. So so yes, I thought I thought that was quite you know brutal. And it seemed like a nice dude. Like he was just sleeping, and then mm. these these absolute bastards woke him up. And then one of them kills him, you know. See, I, I thought he was lying in wait for his prey. He was clearly asleep. He didn't move for ages after they first uncovered a bit of his spine. I just want to mm. see Boba use his knee blasters again. Like, in the episode of The Mandalorian, which you're talking about, but when he did that, that was just like, chef's gets beautiful. So, yeah, give me an enemy where that requ- he requires use of that weapon again. Yeah. Uh. That would be cool. Yeah, it's interesting because obviously in the uh, in the Star Wars movies we didn't get to see Boba Fett fight apart from that brief bit where he does so cack-handedly on the on the <laughs> cell barge and then and then gets you know gets sarlacked um, mm, so, accidentally accident yeah complete accident blundering fool he's like the Mister Bean of the Star Wars franchise and yet somehow <laughs> he's been reimagined that this this badass fighter who can master all kinds of martial arts and and ride a speeder bike. Uh, well, actually, in fact, he should be blundering around on top of a space mini. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, shall we talk about the Sarlacc real quick? It's not the first time Boba Fett's crawled out of the Sarlacc in Star Wars fiction, um, but it's the first time we've kind of seen it. Now, you know, now it's this is now canon. So, did we think that, you know, it would be harder for him to crawl out of the Sarlacc, then, you know, he just seems to torch it a little bit, then punch his way out. And what about the depiction of the Sarlaccs inside? Is that how you saw it in your mind's eye? 
I was just, I'm just curious as to the logistics of how he got out of the stomach. Because he seemed to burn a hole in its stomach, and then he climbs out of the sand to the side of the sarlacc. So he seems to have burrowed a good sort of 15 feet through solid-packed sand to get out, which may not have been the most practical way of escaping, but sure. <laughs> it wasn't very solid-packed around the sarlacc, though, was it? It was quite, you know, like... Fine, well, I mean, it would have posed no sand. obstacle to shy hulud, Helen, but I'm just saying well, for the average not, bounty hunter. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I, I did think that for the, all the importance that's been given in Star Wars lore, I maybe expected a little bit more screen time for it. Um, but it is very hard to imagine how you would make it look interesting on screen. If he's being held in an organic substance, it also might look really, really, you know, upsettingly anatomical and Chris might get all confused and excited and that would nobody wants that so now that's what I call jizz volume three <laughs> so I think maybe there was there was an element of let's just get this over with as quickly as possible but yeah I, th- I thought he oh, I heard he, this word's my honeymoon night <laughs> so I thought he yeah he got the oxygen from the stormtrooper to keep himself going because yeah. for some reason all those tanks in his back don't include any oxygen <laughs> he, which he's seems the Mr. Like Bean maybe, of the Star Wars franchise I'm telling you you know it's a bit odd then he uses Mench, his flamethrower he didn't he cut through the wall and then flamethrower through to the other side so it was like it was cutting through a part of his body to a more vulnerable part and then flamethrowing that yeah except sure the, why not yeah yeah is is cooking the thing that you're in a great tactic? <laughs> I mean, surely there's lots of noxious gases knocking around. But, you know, if, if any of those things had been flammable, we would have been looking at Toasty Boba Fett. Mm. It would have been the cookbook of Boba Fett, where you would just been... <laughs> you would have loved that, Chris. <laughs> is this not a bit retconny? Because the Sarlacc pre-special edition is just a great big hole in the sand with teeth. But... Post special edition, it has that sort of like Venus flytrap more thing, which chews things up as they go in. So he's kind of de special editioned it. Yeah. Mm. Presumably his armor, maybe maybe his armor protected him from the chewy bit. Maybe his his armor's a little bit lackluster though, isn't it? Because it's not like Mando's armor. Like it's very, it's basically that giant onesie with a few bits of metal (laughs) sewn onto the front of it. So, (laughs) what's happened to his cape? By the way, he had a really cool cape, and now he doesn't have a cape. (laughs) The Jawas took. There's a very, very sort of like dapper Jawa wandering around the Dune Sea wearing his cape. <laughs> so I think, I think from now on, in any further episodes of this this podcast, we should refer to moments like this where we delve into Boba's past and we see, uh, and we see scenes uh, from his past depicted. We should call that fetconning. So that's what hey. we're going to call it from now on. At Broads27 on Twitter, do you guys think we'll see metal-legged Darth Maul in this series? No. I think Maybe. Kylie, I yes. wouldn't be at all surprised. The, the fact that they got him back for, for that very brief moment in Solo, he is back on mm. the board and they've got, what, what's that actor, is it Ray? I want to say Ray Parker. Ray Park. Ray Park. Ray Park. Ray Park. Yeah. Park. I was going to Ray Parker Jr. No, that's the Ghostbusters music guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the fact that Ray Park is sort of back in this world, even very briefly, like, that does not seem out of the question to me. And the fact that they're leaning into the different kind of gangster uh, houses, Crimson Dawn, I feel like is a thing that will be happening. Because we know so little about this show. When I did the cover feature, there were no other cast members confirmed for the show at all beyond Tamira Morrison and Ming-Na Wen, and they still haven't really announced any other cast members. So there's got to be other people in this show going forward. 
Yeah, yeah. I think Emilia Clarke's Kira, I'd bet on that happening before Darth Maul showing up. Um, because, you know, we were talking earlier, like, this is a thing which is, this is a show which is, you know, trying to be its own distinct self away from Jedis and Siths and lightsabers and all the rest of it. And I feel like they want to keep it in that realm rather than bring in a Darth Maul, which is not to say that I wouldn't be excited. Um, I really love what they did with that character, especially in Clone Wars and Rebels. But uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't bet on that happening. You don't think she's a harder get than Ray Park? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She, harder get, but I would still, for some reason, I'm... <laughs> I would still, th- uh, based on who that character is and who she's playing in the mention of the Crimson Dawn, I would still bet on Emilia Clarke showing up. I don't know. We'll see. All righty. Okay. Uh, we've already got a couple of minutes left because uh, Helen's got to go in particular. Uh, so here's one from last week. This is from At He Paints Caves. Uh, and he asks, loved the first episode. This was a reaction to the first episode. Feels like there's a lot the show can explore from here, but one detail I didn't get. How was there a stormtrooper in the Sarlacc with Boba Fett? There were none on Jabba's barge during Luke's I did think rescue that. in Return yeah. of the Jedi. Mm. Where did the stormtrooper come from? Because it was quite digested, so maybe it had just been there for some mm. time. Yeah, things get digested in there for a thousand in. years. So even if that was like, I don't know, ten years ago, that's him basically having just had breakfast. But how, how would... Because the, the Sarlacc's quite out of the way, unless you're saying Jabba was taking stormtroopers off and then just dropping them into the Sarlacc. Because that was something he did periodically, right? That was that was a regular thing. You would go and chap a cell barge and you would watch him push people into the Sarlacc. So at some point, a stormtrooper pissed him off and then he goes. The stormtroopers are famously incompetent. So when they were searching for R2 and 3PO, they could have just blundered in there. <laughs> just sort of fell <laughs> I mean, the... the- the, the levels of competence are so variable in this show. You know, the, those blaster marks too precise for sand people. But now we've got sand people, a warrior people, and yeah. I, you know, pick one, guys. Yeah, stormtroopers really are many things. They are not precise. <laughs> That's right. You're absolutely right. There, there are sand troopers. Sand troopers. There are sand people who are taking shots at the at the train, a moving target, and they are hitting yeah. things. Mm. That's a shot Jack Reacher would struggle with. Right? Yes. And he's he's won prizes. He has won trophies. He has won, he's got medals. He won, a, he won a little shiny trophy. He says, Jack Reacher should good. Uh, all right. Okay. That's, uh, I think that's pretty much it. Let's wrap it up. There's a couple of last things I wanted to mention. I wanted to mention that this episode is a shot, cinematographed, and DP'd, um, not in the porn sense, by... Oh, no. The one, the only, the legendary Dean Cundy. And I was absolutely flabbergasted to see Dean Cundy's name pop up at the end. Now, Dean Cundy is one of the greatest cinematographers of the modern era. He is the guy who shot The Fog, The Thing, Big Trouble in Little China, Jurassic Park, Back to the Future, all three Back to the Futures. He is one of the great modern cinematographers, but he has been, I don't know why, and I don't want to speculate on why, but he has been somewhat in the career wilderness for the last year, last 10 years or so. So it's really good to see one of the absolute greatest in the business get a shot at the big leagues once again. So that that really heartened me. And apparently he's doing one more episode as well. So yay for Dean Cundy. Amen. Yeah, I think this show has looked 
beautiful so far. Like I said, one of the things that's really working for me are those extended sequences where so much of the storytelling just is through the visuals. Um, and I, I feel like this show is really leaning into that. And yeah, beautifully shot uh, both episodes, I'd say. But this one, yeah, had some really, really lovely stuff. Anything else you wanted to talk about real quick? Anything you wanted to mention? Uh, for example, I wanted to mention that uh, one of the characters who pays tribute to Boba in the first episode's little tribute montage was played by Barry Lowen, who is one of Pedro Pascal's Mando stand-ins. Oh, cool. So that's mm-hmm. nice to keep that going. But it, it seems that um, they don't have the same stand-ins playing Boba when he's walking around and doing his stuff, because it's obviously not Tamir Morrison all the time. We haven't discussed Matt, Matt there. Yes. Yes. So he's not a protocol droid, but he does introduce people in the way that a protocol droid might. So I'm a little unclear on what kind of droid he is, but I like hearing his dulcet tone. He feels like the Tom Hagen, in a way, of <laughs> if you're going to go down the Godfather route. So he's kind of filling everyone in. He's he's the conciliary, if we will. I mean, Ming-Na is definitely the conciliary. I'm not so sure she is. I don't know that conciliary goes around wiping people out directly. Um, although, you know, Tom Hagen wasn't a wartime conciliary, was he? But No, indeed. But, uh, you know, I don't think the conciliary gets their hands dirty themselves. I think, you know, I think Fennec fulfills well, a different she's function. An, she's kind of enforcer and confidant, so yeah, that's yeah. why I would put her in that role. Yes, personally. yes, yes, yes. Oh, and we can't have uh, one of these shows without a question from our good old pal, Fal Shopaholic, <laughs> uh, who sent in a couple of questions, one of which, most of which we've answered already. Well, say answered. We've blundered around and tried to answer. Uh, but why does Boba need to sleep in that chamber? Is it helping him remember his past? So he's in the back to tank. It's to heal, isn't it? Yeah, because he's all. But what's he healing from at this point? Well, this I did wonder that because he was horribly sunburned. We got that. Like he's <laughs> looking a bit worse for wear. But you know, a little bit of aloe vera would sort that. You don't need a back to tank for that. So I, yeah, I'm not entirely sure what is his, what is his malfunction. Maybe this is where he got his teeth. <laughs> yeah, it's a tooth whitening. T- <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> Yeah, I think he's just still trying to undo a lot of damage. I mean, he was before he was sunburnt, he was moderately sarlacked. That's got to be a very acidic environment. Um, I got the sense that he is still just kind of... Because I feel like when Luke was in there and when um, Finn was sort of being healed by magic back to goop, they were in there for kind of extended periods of time. They would kind of be in those tanks for like a couple of days or like a solid week. Whereas with Boba, he's got shit to do, so he's kind of just sleeping in there, getting a couple of hours of of healing in, uh, and then every night he's like, no, I can get another layer of skin back, I can get another uh, facial, effectively, not talking about space (laughs) jizz. Um, Oh gosh. But he is, yeah, sort of slowly healing and and kind of sorting his skin out. It's his skincare routine. I mean, so he's basically, he is Tom Cruise trying to recover from his bad leg after Mission Impossible. Which apparently he involved him using an oxygen tank, I think, for, for periods of time. Um, or alternatively, Ra from Stargate emerging from the tank periodically to like kick mm. ass in a desert. Yes. This is basically Stargate, except I like you this know, reference. less fun. I do not understand so this reference. Oh, wow. Have you not seen the Stargate You've never movie? seen Stargate. You've never seen all the seasons <sighs> of Stargate SG-1 and the spin-off Stargate Atlantis and Stargate Universe. I am shocked and appalled. <laughs> You could at least watch the movie. Don't worry about the rest. 
yeah, it's also not a very convenient thing. I suspect at some point he seems very vulnerable in that tank, and I suspect at some point assassins will come for him when he's sleeping in the back of the tank. Oh, will he escape? Who Ooh. knows? Who yes, knows? He needs to go into the tank so that he can revisit his past before become before coming back to the future. Hey. He's like he's like Dewey Cox. Before he goes on stage, he has to flash back over his entire life. <laughs> Someone also pointed out that dreams don't work like that. <laughs> <laughs> he is dreaming entirely in flashback. I, mean, I had a w- bunch of weird fucking dreams last night, uh, and none of them made any sense. They all blended into one another, and it was very very strange. And um, so, it's it's just um, it's just he's dreaming in storytelling device. Bless him. Bless mm-hmm. him. That's a, that's a very useful power to have. Speaking of dreams, I just really briefly want to talk about the, the tripped out lizard dream sequence because I loved what they did mm. with that. I really love when Star Wars goes kind of metaphysical and strange. It reminded me a lot of, of Rey in The Last Jedi when she goes down into the cave and she's doing all the snapping of the fingers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke in The Empire Strikes Back when it's his head inside the Vader helmet. I love those moments when Star Wars goes to that kind of that dark, mystical, dreamlike space. And I just thought the visual elements, especially we're talking about Dean Cundy shooting this before, um, the visual elements of of Boba's kind of trippy dream with all the Jawa eyes in the tree and him being kind of tangled up in the tree and breaking the branch and the way that they kind of gave that physical element of he is literally tripping off his nut um, and comes back with a big old branch, but we see his kind of visual, <laughs> I don't know, journey of where he was and what that was to him. I just thought that looked really, really cool. And that does feel like it is part of the texture of Star Wars. It feels like that is a part of the established texture of, of what Star Wars can be. I just I just love when they do that with this universe. See, I would have loved it if like, because they set it up, he has the nose lizard, which is mental. And he goes on this trip and he comes back with a branch. And I kind of feel like if you needed a part of a tree, you didn't need to go on a fucking vision quest to get one. They're fucking dead trees everywhere. It's Tatooine. But you like, clearly do. To get the right shape of branch I mean, to make that particular it's a fucking branch. <laughs> what are the chances of picking a branch that will be exactly the right shape and shape size and to carve that to become dude a stick that you can carry? It yeah. feels to me like he basically he was like a student on a trip, wasn't he? He was just a student of his face and drugs. He basically came back with the equivalent, a Star Wars equivalent of a traffic cone. And they were like, "Well, I don't really know what to do with this, Bobo. That's perhaps perhaps we'll make it into a big. That's very nice, thank you, Bobo. We'll make it into a big stick. Would that would that, would that be good for you?" <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Also, the the language and grammar of depicting trips. And again, I should stress for the for the record that I have never had anything stronger than a pro plus, <laughs> so I've never I've never experienced one. But the language, the cinematic language and grammar of trips is the same across pretty much every movie and every TV show. That someone it goes a bit fuzzy and it goes a bit weird, and you see someone layered on top of something else, and then it's a bit oh, it's a bit wee, it's a bit woo. It's like yeah, come on, you know, Star Wars, come up with something else. Have them being, you know, have like a giant pink rancor in the sky or something. I don't know. I don't <laughs> we'll know. workshop it. Yeah, well, yeah, it's fine. Does this need more rancors? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did love the love the joke about the empty ram- rancor pit. I thought that worked really, really well. But um, but yeah, you know, I liked the rancor and his little his little relationship with his little trainer who was all upset when he died. Genuinely, one of my favorite favorite Star Wars moments. That yeah, yeah. I, I was wondering what was going to happen there because I was thinking the rancor's dead for about five years now. So is it going to be a little baby rancor that comes out? <laughs> oh. Baby rancor. But no, they don't even have a fucking rancor. They have nothing. 
They have Matt Berry, but not being funny so far. Um, you know, he's got a great voice, one of the best voices in the biz. Uh, mm. But he's not even going, fire the nuclear weapons! He's not even <laughs> doing that. He's just, you know, kind of doing his his kind of low-key stuff. So they need to get more shit, these guys. And I think that's where they're going to go in episode three. They're going to get more shit and then fight a giant fucking Wookiee. Just leave it in a locked car. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> anyway, what? <laughs> that's so insane. Ben's so, oh. so dismayed. They have arms, Ben. They're smart. They can just open the car. They they can rip your arms off. They can rip a car door off. Yeah, and they're going to rip your arms off when you try and lock them in a car. I, I will watch this. <laughs> All right, we'll see where it goes. Hopefully the present day stuff will begin to usurp the the past and the flashbacks and the Fed conning. But we shall see what happens. That's it for our first episode of the Book of Boba Fett Spoiler Specials. We'll be back next week with more. It's going to be a ton of fun. A ton of fun. But until we meet again, until then, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from my four colleagues of such lethal cunning Riverside names, because we're in Riverside today. Uh, Desert Power, a.k.a. Amon Warman. Peace. It is goodbye from the June scene. James yes. Dyer. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, I'm surprised you don't like this, given that it's so heavily redolent of June. Uh, but anyway. It's true. But, you know, we've had proper yeah. Dune now, so I don't need shit, Dune. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, it is goodbye from Dame Yobar, Helen O'Hara. Delicious. Mm. Toodaloo. That is what you say when you're in the cafe at Ikea. You go, Dame, mm. yo! That's... It's goodbye from Maximum Rebo, Ben Travis. The only level of Rebo I will accept. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Name all the members of the Max Rebo band, Ben. Max Rebo is the only one who deserves my attention. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. He's a tiny blue elephant on a circular keyboard how am i supposed to be looking elsewhere oh there's the weird in the special edition of return of the jedi where there's the singer with the lips <gasps> that go oh, the, right the, the, the the guy. Oh. Yeah, size noodles get sidelined did you know she's like a uh, an assassin and shit what is the, yeah. hang on what is this nonsense i really? was reading it yesterday yeah she's like yeah she's you know in deep but then she goes back to her singing career I don't know. I just, wow. See, that's the series we should have had. Like, I would have paid to see the Book of Size Noodles. Like, 100%. <laughs> Bring me that. Do you think she's like the Liza Minnelli of the Star Wars universe? I'm not saying the Liza Minnelli is an assassin, but I'm not not saying that. Well, you're not, <laughs> not saying it. I'm not yeah. saying that. Her sax. I mean, literally, she her saxophonist is literally called Droopy McCool. I mean, honestly, <laughs> you just can't beat this shit. Uh, anyway, it's goodbye for me as well. Fet Utini. Fet Fet, which is. Fet fettuccine. Utini, it's a fettuccine. Yeah, it's very clever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm off to continue my deep dive into jizz. I will leave no helmet unserviced and uncleaned. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. Bye.